What up, guys? It's JP from the Double Double, and I'm here with my co-host, Ben. What's going on, everybody? Welcome. And today we have a cool episode for you. We have some redemption arcs for some certain players that started off the season maybe not so hot and are really starting to pick it up. And we're also just going to touch on some cool storylines that have happened recently or just certain things we want to talk about. But let's start off with guys who started off slow and are starting to heat up. Ben, take it away for us. Sure. Yeah, there's a handful of players here that the first half of the season, the first 35 games were really poor. And the last 15 games, you know, month of February, we're seeing a pickup. Clay Thompson's the first name I want to talk about. In the month of February, Clay Thompson shot 46% from the three-point line on 12 attempts a game. He's had some absolutely flamethrower games for the Warriors so far this month. And I love it. I really thought we were never going to see really, really hot shooting Clay Thompson, like amazing Clay Thompson again. Yeah. He's averaging 26 points over the month. Um, I don't know if this it means he's back and this is here to stay or if this is just a crazy month. But, I mean, he's helping the Warriors stay afloat here. Yeah, for sure. And what's strange is his stats without Steph Curry this year are incredible all-NBA type numbers. Yeah. Uh, that is strange. Usually we view Curry as a guy who lifts everyone up. Like, he's the tide that raises all boats. But Clay Thompson has picked up his own game in the absence of Curry. Like you said, he's averaging 27 points per game. When Curry's out, he's shooting blistering percentages, like just 50, 40, 90 type shit. Um, and he's creating his own looks too, which is something we don't usually get to see from Clay. We see a lot of catch and shoot from him and attacking closeouts, but he's kind of doing everything for this team offensively. And they had a good win over Minnesota on uh, national TV the other night. What do you view the Warriors ceiling because of how Clay's playing right now? Because they sit at basically 500 right now, but Clay's looked as good as he's ever looked since coming back. And Curry's obviously a top five guy. If Curry comes back, do you see potential in this team being really dangerous? It's a good question. The West is so stacked right now. The top of the West is so hard to overtake that even if the Warriors play great, how far do they really move is the interesting question. But I obviously, when you're looking forward towards the playoffs and you're looking at which teams do you trust to get themselves a good seed, the Warriors are probably the top of that list. Um, Clay Thompson being as good as he is absolutely elevates them. I'm not sure when it's in terms of seeding, can they get a home court seed? Can they be a top four seed? I think it's almost impossible. I mean, in theory, they could, right? Because right. they're only one game back of the uh, Suns in the loss column, right. right? So in theory, it is possible. But I mean, Curry's out indefinitely and Draymond's getting MRIs on his back and stuff like that. So there's some there's some questions surrounding the Warriors right now, but it's a good thing one question has been answered for this team, and it's Clay Thompson is back, and we don't need to worry about him anymore. Like he is as close as he will get to what he was pre-injury. Yes, and the fact that he's creating for himself is what's really cool. Um, you said that already, but to be more than just a spot-up shooter, to, to actually put the ball on the floor, we don't see that from Clay Thompson very often. So the fact that he's been comfortable doing that as he's been the main guy, I'm really happy to see it. Uh, moving on to the next guy who's been having a really good past month and a half. Not a guy we give a tremendous amount of praise to. Trey Young, yeah. 26 points a game over the month of February, 12 assists, 39% from three, 91% uh, from the free throw line. He's having a really good month and a half. Um, he started the season so poorly, and the numbers right now do not reflect how good he's playing, the overall numbers. But this is, I mean, 
it was a shaky start bringing in DeJounte Murray, but at least things are starting to click for him. Yeah, I mean, go look at Trey Young's numbers like two, two and a half months through the season. They were yeah. atrocious. Yes. Um, there is a reason why he was not an all-star this year, despite his raw numbers being impressive. It was because the efficiency was god-awful. Uh, what we're starting to see is that turnaround for him, which is super important because at the end of the day, shooting 39% is not going to help your team win. And, and he's becoming more and more efficient as the season goes on. I think as we're talking about Trey Young, we do need to talk about the head coaching change as well. Just quickly, Quinn Snyder, I believe, is a offensive mastermind. Uh, what he did with the Jazz to kind of hide Rudy Gobert's like warts on his game and just make Donovan Mitchell a superstar over there in Utah, I, I give a lot of credit to Quinn Snyder for that system and just the all, the five-out shooting plus the pick-and-roll with Rudy Gobert. We could see something similar from Atlanta pretty soon uh, because I think he did a great job of letting Donovan Mitchell and Ricky Rubio and Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley share the ball. So hopefully he can get Trey Young off ball a little bit more, but praise is due for Trey Young. He's been playing a lot better as of late. What do you think about the firing Nate McMillan decision? Um, early in the season, we had some reports coming out that like it was Trey that was the locker room cancer. Um, yeah. And then the coach gets booted and they seem to be doing really well their last two games. Um, do you think it was the right decision letting go of Nate McMillan? Uh, yeah, it's the right decision because uh, reports came out that he was actually considering quitting. <laughs> um, like if a coach is considering quitting a multi-million dollar job, just you got to let him go. Yeah, uh, you got to let him go. I, and it's hard for me to say positive things about Trey Young because I do think it is Trey in the locker room and you know his play style is very alienating I believe because if he's not playing well the team doesn't play well because of how they play basketball as a unit right where it's so Trey Young centric um but you know we see this all the time right coaches get fired and then the teams respond in the next few games and really try hard and play well so props to Trey Young for improving his game DeJounte Murray's been excellent as of late as well I'd like to see a little bit more of this continue before I uh, have any feelings about the Hawks. I think that's fair. And, you know, we know what kind of guard defender Trey Young is. And I don't know how much this really matters to you. But if you're going by the numbers and you're looking at the worst defenders in the NBA, Trey Young is not in the bottom 20 this year. I don't know where exactly he falls, but if you ever see graphics about, you know, the worst guard defenders and the worst defenders of basketball, you got to look for a little bit before you find Trey. And at least that's, a hell of an improvement from what we used to see. I think Trey Young's probably been the worst defender in basketball for a couple seasons. And by the numbers, he's not that this season. So at least effort-wise, he's trying, but he's still the same size he's always been. Right. Uh, it's just going to take a miracle for me to say something positive about Trey Young's defense. That's uh, fair. Yeah, he might not be bottom 20, but man, oh man, uh, yeah. that is not a strong suit of his. But we're here to give him credit because he's turned things around. So props to Trey Young. I want to talk about a guy who I've just been enamored with the entire season, honestly, Anthony Davis. Um, you know, you could say, hey, is this really a redemption arc if he was destroying people when he was healthy? Yes, because he got hurt um, and he always gets hurt. And sometimes we see a road for him to get back to what he usually is that takes a while. It has not taken a while. Uh, go watch the da Dallas Mavericks versus the Lakers the from the other day. I've never seen, like, they just didn't know what to do with him. 
the entire game. He was dominating on the offensive glass, defensive glass, defense protecting the rim. His jump shot was going in over and over again. When he's right, it's it, he puts himself in the class of like who is better than him. Yeah. Honestly, when he's right, it's it's hard to say other players in the league are better than this guy. Um, and I, I just love to see it. Yeah, it's hard to rank him because of how many games he misses. But yeah. if he was playing 60 games a season, he would be arguably a top four, if not higher player. He's the best two-way guy in basketball when everything's clicking. Um, and we've talked about the fact that his game disappears for one game out of 12. Yeah. Um, and we saw that the other night. Him and LeBron had a pretty bad game in a game that the Lakers won. And I don't remember the last time I could have seen LeBron and AD play poorly and the Lakers pick up a win, which speaks a lot to how good this team is right now. And the fact that they were able to get so many good role players and they also can just rely on Anthony Davis being an absolute powerhouse on both ends. The team is picking up. The Lakers are really heating up. Yeah, and we'll definitely give them their due time in this podcast because I really want to talk about them and how they've looked post-trade deadline. But, you know... If we just go back to the bubble where Anthony Davis just cooked people, what made him special is when the jump shot was falling for him because you can't do anything about him in the paint. And defensively, he's just going to destroy any game plan you have. But what makes him truly like a transcendent talent is when the mid-range jumper is falling and he iced the game over Luka on a post fadeaway the other night where it didn't touch the rim at all. And like when those shots are falling for him, like you said, like he's a top five, top four guy. So it's just good to see him kind of back and hopefully crossing fingers. He can make a a nice little health run here heading into the postseason. I hope so. The Lakers would do really well if he does. The thing that I kind of love on top of the fact that the mid-range game has been so effective is that he hasn't tried to shoot as many threes as he has in seasons past. Um, He's shooting a really poor percentage right now, and he's never been a phenomenal three-point shooter, but the mid-range shot's always been excellent, and I think people have just tried to stretch him out a couple feet because of that um, and just take the bad percentages, but he's just committing to the mid-range, and he's been so effective at it, and I, I don't know what the Lakers' ceiling is with him as their best guy, but I don't know if there's an argument. With as good as LeBron's been, with AD playing at his best, I don't know if there's an argument on the team over who's better. Yeah, no, that like 14 game stretch that Anthony Davis had earlier in the season, like he was the best player in the league during those 14 games. No one was doing what he was doing. Um, So yeah, if AD's right, he's the best player on the team. Um, And like, we'll talk a little bit later, like the team's better constructed around him now. So good things for Anthony Davis. Yes. Let's move on to the next guy, Evan Mobley. Potentially a weird name to see here because he's been good all season. But if you listen to the conversation around Evan Mobley, it has not been overwhelmingly positive all season. People look at the 14 points per game he was putting up in the beginning of the season and kind of just dismiss how great his defense was. But we're seeing growth in offense in a big way recently. Yeah, he is one of the best rim finishers in the entire league. Um, He leads the league in dunks, which I think surprises people. Uh, You don't really expect that from a guy super slender like he is. Um, but it's now he's putting together dribble packages that can get him to the rim and get him to his looks that he loves, right? So he's blowing past guys on the perimeter and then falling into a hook shot or falling into a fadeaway, and they're going in. 
Um, everything in the paint, no matter if it's right at the rim or near the free throw line is going in for him right now. And he's scoring 19 points per game over the last month and a half. So, you know, Kendrick Perkins went on national TV and basically said it was the Cavs. It was Evan Mobley's fault that the Cavs weren't a contender since that show, he has been dominating and it, it he did a, a wonder for the Cavs because, you know, when Mobley's playing well, they're hard to beat. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of talked about that all season and the ceiling of the Cavs depends on how good can Mobley be. Yeah. Um, and he's not going to be the second best player on the team by the time this season's over, but maybe next year he will um, be. we're getting pretty close. Uh, he's shooting 48% from 16 feet to the three point line, just a step inside that KG range and yeah. shooting 82% around the rim. Um, a lot of that is off of cuts off of dunks. Um, but we are seeing him create for himself. He had 31 points the other night. He hit two threes. Um, we're seeing an expansion in the offensive game of Evan Mobley. And something that is usually viewed as a weakness and probably should be his three-point shooting, it's forced him to be a very creative cutter. Uh, he's reaching Clay Thompson level of relocation right now, except he's doing it inside the paint instead of at the three-point line. Uh, teams sag off of him at the three-point line and he'll fake cut inside or twirl and then go in for a dunk. It's like he's reaching really, really unprecedented heights for a big man cutter because there's just not a lot of dudes that are doing this off ball who aren't enrolled, like involved in the pick and roll. Uh, he's doing this as just a guy in a corner finding his way to the paint and then dunking or putting up a post hook. He's being creative. He's being aggressive. He had a 31-point game, and he scored all of his points in three quarters. Like, imagine if he actually got a shot attempt up in the fourth. He could have had a 40-point, 45-point game, and this is a guy who doesn't shoot threes. Uh, I, I've been so impressed by him, and I can't say I'm shocked. I've seen this for, for him since he got drafted, and I only see, you know, higher from here. I think we're just at the point where we're done – say we're done having a discussion about who the best sophomore is yeah um people wanted to say scotty barnes i don't think it was ever scotty barnes franz no. bogner had a legitimate argument um because yeah. he's a great shot creator he's and still great... might yeah still might but i think it goes to mobley yeah um i think we're at the point where franz bogner can take second place but evan mobley's probably clearly the best sophomore in the game in the game yeah which which is nice to see because we talked about you know, the 14 points per game, right? And even though he was taking less shots this year than he was last year, people were very upset with his performance the first few months of the season because the raw numbers didn't jump out at you and tell you how he was impacting games. Well, now they are. And, you know, if you're watching these games, you see how involved he is from the jump. And it's really encouraging. And I'm glad he's been more involved. I agree. Uh, let's move on to the next guy. Markel Fultz is healthy and he's playing great. And the Magic are playing well behind him. Uh, over the month of February, he's putting up 16 points a game, shooting 51% from the field, 96% from the free throw line. He's got five assists to two and a half turnovers and 1.4 steals a game. Um, that is all around impact. The three-point shot may never come back for Mar Markel Fultz. And if it doesn't, he's still an impactful player and he's still helping the Magic win. Yeah, 100%. Being a guard who can't shoot is always going to be an issue, but he yeah. does everything else so well that it kind of doesn't matter. Um, and for him to put himself himself in that position, 
from where he was a few years ago, like where the Sixers just got rid of him for beans. Like that's really cool that he's been as good as he's been. Yeah, I love it, man. Uh, We have been saying this for so long and it feels like next year the Magic are just going to be a great team and people are going to act like they didn't see it coming. We've seen it coming. Um, There is a very good team hiding under this roster and they won. They might have lost like 15 of their first 20 games, but they're winning more than they want to at this point in the season. Yeah, that's the thing. Me and you were so enamored by this team because they were in in all the games they were playing, but they just kept losing them in the final minutes. Mm -hmm. Now they're starting to string together some actual W's. And for a team that's probably okay with losing, like they're winning probably more than they should. Um, We've had this conversation on the podcast before, right? Like what's more valuable playoff experience or maybe one more draft pick to add to a core for this team, like, do they need another guy to put on this team? Obviously, you'd love an upgrade at point guard a little bit, right? Fultz has been awesome, but I could see him being an elite, elite sixth man. Um, if you have a little more star power at the position, maybe you get really good really quickly. Or maybe if you have a guy like Brandon Miller who can shoot the lights out on this squad that needs shooting desperately, that's massively helpful. But also, Paolo and Franz in a postseason game, like with the stakes being as high as they are, that could be really helpful too. So either way, they're good. But yeah, Fultz has been a very big culprit to why they're winning games. I agree. Um, And we will talk about it in a little bit, but Paolo is having is hitting his rookie wall right now. He has not had a great month of February and even January before it wasn't perfect. But despite that, the Magic are still looking like a very complete team. And if you just project out and you think about what Paolo could be at his best, Um, If whatever the first two months of the season that we saw from him, if he could do that consistently with Markel Fultz, with Franz Wagner, with this whole team, they're a playing team very, very soon. And what's Um, what's interesting about, sorry to cut you off, but just one little thing with Fultz here is like, I think a lot has been made about him being selected first overall over Tatum and him kind of how his career's played out we're starting to see why he was selected number one overall. Like, yes, yes, the shooting was a big part of it. And it probably is going to cap his ceiling as a player. Yeah. But everything else, like he doesn't really have a flaw. Like his mid range game is great. Finishing around the rim. Fantastic. Setting up teammates, free throw percentage, rebounding, defending. It really is just the three point ball that doesn't fall for him. So we see these flashes of crazy athleticism and rim finishing that's why he was so highly touted. No one could have foreseen the weird shoulder injury he had as a rookie. Yeah, that whole thing absolutely was unpredictable. Markel Fultz getting drafted was a phenomenal athlete with a great feel for the game who could score from anywhere. Yep. And the three-point shot's definitely been taken away from him, and he may never get it back. A nerve injury in your shoulder like that, on top of all the weirdness, on top of all like the social weirdness that went around yeah. that went on. Yeah. Um I'm just happy he is deserving of the contract the Magic gave him and are and is actually impacting winning. There's a draft pick for the Magic that I was just going to bring up earlier. Keontae George to the Magic is a thing I feel like is already going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of those picks that like the Magic are going to get a seventh or eighth pick and they're going to want a guard with some promise, with some ceiling to him. And I think that's yeah. Keontae George. Yeah, and the Orlando Magic contract... Is, is such a good one. Uh, they're only paying him $16 million a year. Yeah. That, that is absolutely worth it for a player of his caliber. Absolutely. And if he if the three-point shot ever gets there, maybe we're past the point where we need to pretend that. Um, it, yeah. 
I'm not saying he'll ever be a four, three point a game sort of guy, but if he can take one and a half to a game and shoot league average, I think that's something we could see. If he can become an SGA level three point shooter, where he's only taking two a game, but like every other game he makes one, like that's fine. Yes. Because SGA puts away threes when they need him to. Yeah. He's not a high volume shooter, but he will take them in crunch time. Exactly. Um, the last one we got to talk to here for redemption arcs is Mark Williams of the Hornets. We did a lot of talk about him during draft time, and I was very excited to see him play. He's a seven foot one big, big man who is basically just your ideal drop coverage center. Um, they're letting him play now. He had a ridiculous game the other night. He can block shots. He can get rebounds. I have no idea why he wasn't playing before, um, but this is exactly what I expected to see from Mark Williams. Yeah, 100%. And they've won their last four in part to his impact on the boards and just protecting the rim. Uh, this is a dog shit team that's stringing together wins because they have some semblance of rim protection and rebounding from Mark yeah. Williams alongside other players on their team starting to pick it up. But, you know, we're going to talk positively about Mark Williams, but this is why we can't have Wemby go to the Hornets because of like decisions being made like this. Mark Williams should have never been in the G League, to be quite frank. Like he was good enough. Me and you spoke about it when he was drafted. He's a plug and play player. His wingspan is enormous. He's a massive human being. He's agile on his feet. He's comfortable crashing the boards over and over and over again. And that's why they drafted him in the first place. So I'm not super sure why it took this long, but man, he looks good and he looks impactful now as a rookie. His standing reach is three inches shorter than the height of the rim. Nine feet, nine inches is his standing reach. Um, It's it's stupid. The Hornets, the malpractice that goes on in Charlotte, um, the guys that they give attention to, Miles Bridges is coming back to the lineup, according to him. Um, the guys they give attention to, and then they leave Mark Williams out in the dust. I, I don't get it. I don't know why they drafted him if they didn't want to play him. Um, but recently he had 18 points and 20 rebounds in the last game against Miami. That's crazy. Yeah. Man. That's against Bam, too. Yeah. Right. So, like this is this is a guy who is dominating the glass yes. and the paint against one of the best defenders and one of the most versatile centers in the league in Bam. Like, yes, he's, he's more not... than just a tall guy, he's unmovable. Right. And what's interesting with him and me and you compared him and Walker Kessler to each other a lot throughout the draft process, just as like the two guys you want protecting the rim other than Chet. Right. And Mark Williams, you mentioned his standing reach. The dude can jump, too. Yes, he can. He's huge and he can he can float through the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is an athlete that is very good at what he does. His role is very small. But I believe in time he will perfect that role and he will be a valuable piece to the Hornets moving forward, especially because he's paired with LaMelo in the pick and roll. This is a guy you can see LaMelo throwing passes to above the rim for a couple years down the line. Um, So even though we're talking about how, you know, the malpractice of the Hornets is annoying, they did hit this pick with Mark Williams. They did. It took them 34 games to play him more than seven minutes and six seconds in a ball game. And maybe that's Steve Clifford too, but why is Steve Clifford even coaching, right? So there's like a lot of levels of just- There's layers to the incompetence. Yeah, Yeah, that's the way it works for every poverty franchise out there is there's not just one guy you can throw the blame at. Um, But the fact, you know, getting back to the topic, Mark Williams is a great pick. And, you know, maybe I think Weminyama to this team would just be fun. Um, But I think career-wise for him, it would not be the right decision. I agree. I think, you know- 
in theory, the talent on the team next to Wembenyama would be awesome, but yeah. all the other details uh, make it a little bit murky. But, you know, I, just a sneaky thing before we start moving into some other topics. Last year was a great draft for big men. Uh, we see Walker Kessler being one of the best rim defenders in the entire league. Like, it's okay to put him in the conversation as the best, uh, which is just, you don't expect that from a rookie. Uh, you had uh, Jalen Duran who's been unbelievable on the boards. Like he is like 30 and 15. (laughs) Yeah. He had 30 and 15, not too long ago. And he's developing a post game. And now we see Mark Williams come up from the ashes of the G league and start dominating. And we have Chet sitting on the bench. Mm -hmm. Chet stopped playing this entire year. Chet is going to be a great NBA player. So think that's four big men that are going to make positive contributions to their franchises in the next, in their rookie contracts. That is not common. No, it's not common. And it's awesome. And they were kind of all over the place in terms of where they got drafted. Yeah. Um, and they're both, they're four guys that we kind of expected to be this good. I didn't expect a 30 and 15 game from Jalen Duran. Um, what he's been doing at his young age is unbelievable. And I'm so excited for his future. I mean, I'm so excited for all these big men future. Um, but Mark Williams, what does the career growth look like? Is he, do they put him in this role and this is all he does for the rest of his career, probably? Yeah, and that's okay because that's why they drafted him. They needed Clint Capella, and I think Mark Williams can be Clint Capella. I think he can be an elite rim protector in his prime and catch alley-oops endlessly over and over and over again. Sure, Um, and just to throw a stray real quick, if you thought Mason uh, Plumlee deserved minutes, if you're a Clippers fan and you have to watch him now, you understand what Mason Plumlee brings to a team. The dribbling is fun. Um, but this is who you'd rather have if you want to play a center. Honestly, honestly. So for them to get off Mason Plumley and get an asset in return, I'm not sure what it even was, but I'm sure they got something back. Um, and then be able to bring up your young guy, Mark Williams, and have him just immediately replace the impact. That's all you can ask for as a franchise, right? Get the younger guy in and have similar performance. So yeah. And really quick on Chet, just because I'm excited about him now and I'm we're starting to get to the time where we're starting to hear about his health updates and stuff like him and Walker Kessler had almost identical rim protection statistics throughout college. Right. And I watched every Chet game and it was hilarious watching him block shots. If Walker Kessler is doing what he's doing in the league right now and basically a zero on offense, like imagine what Chet could be just as soon as next year, like a guy who protects the rim at that level for OKC but is also a connector on offense and a guy who can occasionally space out to three. And an I'm, athlete. I'm just very excited to see what that OKC team looks like next year. And, you know, I, I think Paolo moving forward is just going to be the best rookie from this class. I'm okay with standing on that still, but my excitement about Chet is coming back because I think he's going to be the clear number two guy in this draft forever. So, you know, two months in, I said some pretty wild things about Paolo Bancaro, um, and he is not as good of a rookie as he was to start the season. And the way he's played recently, you know, maybe Chet can be the best guy. Uh, maybe he can be. Uh, I don't know the 20 points a game from Paolo to start the season. Just projecting that forward, if he's putting up 26 a game and just bullying people in the post, um, it's hard for me to see Chet top that, but his defense is just spectacular. What's funny is I can see Chet being like just highest caliber Al Horford ever, right? It's just a guy who's like 18, nine and two or Mm -hmm. 18, nine and three. 
and just being an unbelievable rim protector. And that is so valuable. So like, I'm just very excited to see what Chet's all about next year. I agree. Let's move on to Dame Lillard, who just put up 71 points yesterday against the Rockets. This is two 70-point performances in this regular season, and Dame Lillard's fifth fifth 60-point or better game. There are only three guys in the history of the NBA who have put up five 60-point games. He's put up five, Kobe's got six, and Wilt's got 32. Um, Dame Lillard brought his points per game up from 31.4 to 32.3 in one game yesterday. This is what Damian Lillard is averaging in his last 20. 39 points per game on 71% true shooting (laughs) and 40% on 12 three-point attempts a game. Oh my God. We are seeing some of the best basketball a guard has ever played right now. And it's not a surprise that Dame's the guy doing it. We have seen nuclear stretches from this dude his entire career. Literally since he was a rookie, we've seen him go on absurd stretches. But it seems like this might be the best he's ever played. Um, These numbers are outlandish. I don't know really how to reconcile them just with Portland's record and what Damian Lillard is doing. Um, But boy... If you if they find a way to sneak into the play-in and he's continuing to play this way, like you do have to be scared no matter what team you are. Because Absolutely. if he puts up 55 points, it's not a shock to anyone. Yeah. Uh, I, I've just been so impressed. What a what a player. I can never forget the playoff game against the Denver Nuggets where he put up 55 points and couldn't miss from anywhere on the floor. Austin Rivers was praying when he missed yep. a shot. I can't, I'll never forget that. Damian Lillard, to this point in the entire season, is averaging 32.3 points on 65.4% true shooting. Nikola Jokic is in a tier of his own, but Dame Lillard is also in a tier of his own. Yeah. Um, 30 points per game, over 30 points per game on this kind of efficiency from a guard. We've seen Kevin Durant hit this level of efficiency, but Dame's doing it from the three ball. Over 11 threes a game he's taking. And the percentages recently, you said it, 40% on 12 attempts. It's incredible. We don't really see this shit from anyone. It's Curry and Dame. And honestly, it's been those two guys basically the whole time. Like over the last decade, it's been Curry one, Dame two, as who has been the best point guard in the league. Yes. Um, You know, is Dame playing better than Luka right now? Probably. He's playing better than John Morant. He's playing better than SGA. Yeah, I don't want to hear yeah, anything else. Absolutely. He's so yeah. underrated. And I think me and you talk about him as being number two behind Steph Curry. But in the NBA, as a like as a culture, I don't feel like everybody's doing that. No, there's bigger names. There's younger players. There's like new guys unique. who can jump higher. Right. And like SGA, right? He, yeah. He's walking down the tunnel and like the coolest fits in, in all of the NBA. John Morant has a headline every day mm-hmm. about him saying some stupid shit, right? Like, there's other reasons to talk about other guys, but Dame, really in silence, just has been dominating the NBA, really, since he's come into the league. Um, I I just, what a special career, and I want it, because usually we like to talk about what team we can get him to. I'm just, I want to talk about how cool it is for Portland to have a guy come to your franchise and, as a rookie, make the All-Star game and just from that point forward, he's just been your franchise guy and a top 10 player, literally. Like, he's been so unique in that sense where he's just your superstar and you get to enjoy him from start to finish. What a cool experience that must be as a Trailblazers fan. Absolutely. And he will always be remembered positively regardless of his playoff success. 
Um, he is, you know, what KG is, what Kevin Garnett is to Minnesota. It was not KG's fault that the Timberwolves no. couldn't win a championship. He did everything he could. Dame Lillard, we have seen how hard he has tried to carry hobbled, hurt rosters. Right. Um, he, I, I just wish I could see him win. I know. Uh, but... Markets needs to be moved. If we're making a ideal list of what needs to happen in Portland, I think Nurkic needs to be moved yesterday. I think keeping Jeremy Grant's a good idea. I don't know if keeping Anthony Simons around is the great idea, unless he's your six man. Yeah, you know, Portland's just a shit show, and we've yeah, talked about what's it a the decent point? amount. Yeah, yeah, right. It's honestly at this point, I'm just like, I'm happy I get to watch Dane play. Um, you know, and uh, something I want to bring up that really I was looking at last night when he was having that performance is like, I really thought he was going to take Kobe's record for the number two scoring game. Cause he had 41 at half. Yeah. And I was just like, does he slow down? We know how bad Houston is, right? Like they're not going to stop this dude. Is he going to slow down? And yeah, he slowed down a little bit, but to finish a game with 71 points, I mean, we were talking about it earlier in the season with Donovan Mitchell, like no one scored 70 since Booker. And now it's happened twice in the same season. There has been a strange numbers inflation this year. But it doesn't take away from, you know, the best players in the league are doing this, right? It's not Joe Schmo coming off the bench and hitting 70 points. It's right. fucking Damian Lillard and Donovan Mitchell, two of the best scorers in the league. So it makes sense. Um, but what a, it just an awesome, awesome performance from Dame. This past week of basketball might be the best week of the regular season. We had that 175-176 Kings Clippers game, which was yep. unbelievable. Jokic yeah. yesterday, I think, put up 40-18-10 and 10, yep. um, in a win. Dame with 71. The Celtics games have been really entertaining. Yeah. Um, it may be, you know, the Celtics-Sixers game. That almost shot from Embiid. I jumped out of my chair when that went in because it sounded like he got that off in time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're, you nailed it on the head. It has been the best week of the NBA season this last week because that Dallas Lakers game was incredible yes. too. Every national televised game has lived up to the hype this week. Mm -hmm. And very rarely does that happen. We had the Bucks Suns, we had Minnesota Warriors, we had Lakers Mavs, we had Boston Celtics 76ers. All of these games finished within five points. Yeah. And two, like, I think, one or two of them ended on game-winning shots, so it's like... We didn't even acknowledge Trey Young had a game-winning buzzer beater yesterday against the Nets. Yeah, exactly. So we've just had an unbelievable stretch of games. Um, I'm just... I'm thrilled for the NBA season because we're starting to... We keep bringing up the postseason, right? We're starting to get itchy. We're starting to, like, yearn for playoff basketball games. I'm, I'm not sure if there's going to be a better postseason I've ever watched in my life than this year it feels like every team has a player or a theme that i would want to root for or would yeah. want to watch uh we're just blessed this season's been incredible the best part of the playoffs is going in not knowing who's gonna win i have no idea who's coming out of the west yeah. celtics versus bucks i have no idea how that's gonna go just the postseason's gonna be awesome let's talk about the clippers a little bit i'm sorry one more thing about dame before we close out the dame sure. conversation you brought up KG and how it's not his fault. And we think the same thing with Dame. This is Dame's postseason stats the last time he was in the in the postseason. Are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. So against Denver in 2021, Dame averaged 34 points and 10 assists a game on 46% from the field, 45% from three, and 94% from the free throw line. So that's a great way to exit the uh, conversation about Dame.
He's absolutely unbelievable. Let's talk about the Clippers because since they have brought in Russell Westbrook, I have enjoyed the way they have looked as a team. There's some things that are going really well. Kawhi is playing great, but they still haven't picked up a win. Kawhi's fucking crazy, dude. He's so good at basketball. I'm so glad he's playing the way he's playing. He played 48 minutes in the Kings game. Yeah. Um, You know, for all the Kawhi's, a bum and load management crowd, that was a nice little, like, tip of his cap. He can do it. He can. It's just, and I think also really quick about the Kawhi conversation, like, he is coming off ACL surgery. I think the way people are treating him, like, sitting games this year is weird because there's, like, a legitimate surgery that he's coming off of. No one mentions that with Jamal Murray, but with Kawhi, it's a huge deal. I'm, I'm not really sure what's going on there, but um, Kawhi's been what I've, I've said this, like a top five guy over the last two months. Now the sample size is that big now where it's just like, he's averaging 29 points on 50, like 55, 40, 90. Um, not a lot of guys in the league can do that, uh, but they just can't get a win. Uh and this team scares the shit out of me moving into the postseason. I despise the Russell Westbrook tri- uh, signing. Despise it. And that's no surprise to anyone who's listened to this podcast over the last three years. Um, and they just don't play defense. That Kings game, what was that? Like, that should have never happened. It shouldn't have been a competition with the way Kawhi was playing that night. Um but they let it go into double over t- overtime, and then the final, like the game going into overtime, the defensive rotations on the final shot that Malik Monk to send it into OT was disgusting. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I'm losing trust in Ty Lue as well. Uh, Terrence Mann was incredible next to Kawhi and Paul George, and now Russell Westbrook's playing like 40 minutes a game. So you do the math, you take out a guaranteed no for an unknown in Russell Westbrook. I don't know how I feel about it. All I know is Kawhi is a top five guy. That's all I know. But other than that, I have no feelings towards the Clippers as a championship contender or a playoff threat. I can't figure them out. In the last 15 games, Kawhi's played 13 of them, and he's put up 28 points, shooting 53% from the field and 49% from the three-point line and 91% from the field or from the free throw line. Um, he's also got 1.8 steals in one block a game and four assists and six rebounds. I don't know what to tell you. Like he's better than basically everyone in the league right now, but because he sits here and there, people don't want to give him the credit. He's boring. He's boring. Yeah. His game's boring, but he's fucking ruining games. Unbelievable. Yeah. He's playing unbelievably well. It's weird to see Russell Westbrook just thrown in and given a maximum role the way he has. Um, I do think he can help the team. Um, I don't want to push that hard because you hate Russell Westbrook so much more than I like him. Um, And I will never win that argument, but I don't think it's a guarantee that Russell Westbrook comes to your team and just tanks them. You know, I think with Russ, there's a certain level of uncertainty. And beforehand, the Clippers were winning a bunch of games with Terrence Mann. Mm -hmm. Why bring him in? It doesn't make sense to me. We've only seen bad things from Russ in the last five years of his career. He has been popped around to different franchise, left and right, unwanted goods. And then you're trying to make a championship championship push and you bring him to your team. It just seems strange. Um, and like you said, the level of responsibility they've given him just seems unwarranted for a guy who hasn't really been good in yeah. a long time. So. Yeah, it's really interesting. And just as a side note, that Clippers-Kings game, Bones Highland didn't got a DNP. Coach's decision DNP. 
Um, and that feels like the longer we just kind of sit around and listen, the more shit comes out about how guys were just fed up with Bones Highland in Denver. Yep. Mike Malone had shade to throw at him. Jamal Murray had a little bit. Um, Jamal Murray claims he wasn't throwing shade at him, but it sounded like it. Um, it's weird to see him go from this like lovable, really fun spark plug score to just like shit on and forgotten about so quickly. Yeah, when guys are begging for shots when your team is like trying to win a championship it shows where their intentions are. He doesn't yeah. care about winning. He wants to, you know, score 20 points a game and take 18 shots a game. So, you know, it is what it is. It's a young burst. He still kind of counts as an asset, I guess, just because of how young he is. And he is talented. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on this Clippers team, you know, if they're giving Westbrook that many minutes, Bones isn't going to play too much. Like, no, it's, Terrence Mann only got like 18. Exactly. It's going to be Terrence Mann and Russell Westbrook from here on out because Paul George plays the point guard position for them a lot as well. So, there's no need for Bones Highland anymore. Um, so it, it is what it is. That team is very, very confusing. Yeah, I am I mean, I still hope for the best for the Clippers. I almost think Kawhi is too good for them to lose. Um, he hasn't willed them into wins the past two games, and it's unbelievable that his gameplay hasn't, that his play hasn't been enough to will, to will them to two wins. Yeah. Um, but we listed off the stats. Kawhi Leonard is a top five player right now. And he might be higher, honestly. I'm I'm okay saying that. And I, you know, me being a homer for him probably made it seem crazy when I said I'd take him over Tatum to you, like once he played 10 games, because mm-hmm. I just saw what he looked like. And I'm like, all right, he's better than Tatum. And I'm, I'm taking Kawhi every day. That's true. Like, it's just objective. Like what Kawhi is doing, he's the top forward in the league outside of Giannis right now. So it's just with that caliber of player on your team, you do expect them to like be in championship contention, but it just seems like there's a lot of moving parts around him that I don't super love. Marcus Morris has been horrible for them and they just keep playing him. They don't care that he's been bad. They keep him out there. A lot, lot of questions with that team. A lot of question marks. They're still the fifth seed. So, yep. you know, there's a lot of teams doing worse. There's a, <laughs> they may not move anywhere. They may end up the end of the, at the end of the season being a five seed. Um, yeah, do you I want to talk, talk about, about the Mavs a little bit? I want to talk about the Mavs and the Lakers. We oh, can yes. do the Mavs yeah, first, yeah, yeah. right? So let's do the Mavs. Kyrie and Luca paired together, obviously, after the, the big trade that was made. Um, when they're on the floor together, they're one in three. Um, and they blew a 27-point lead to the Lakers, who we'll get to in a second. But a lot of these games are coming down to the last minutes with Luca and Kyrie, and they're losing games which is very strange because I think Kyrie and Luca have reputations as clutch guys. Um, What are your thoughts on the fit? Is this a long-term issue? Is this just, you know, they've only played six games together. They'll figure it out. Like what are, what are your opinion on just the fit between these guys? And if this is going to be an ongoing problem for this team. It's interesting because none of their losses have been by any more than nine points. (laughs) Um, So you know, you bring in such a high usage, high volume scorer to your team. It's going to change your dynamic. It's going to change how clutch time looks. Mm-hmm. And it definitely makes sense that there's an adjustment period here and they're struggling. I really think it's nothing. I'd hope it's nothing yeah. um, because of how good I think they can be when they're at their best. It kind of feels like they won't, once they figure this out, there's not going to be a lot of clutch time minutes that they have to worry about. I like that take, actually. I like that take a lot. I think something to look forward to, like just as seeding right now, right? It would be Dallas versus Sacramento. That would be a very interesting series to me. That would be a very hard fought battle. 
Um, clearly, Dallas has top-end talent, kind of with the best teams in the league, like Kyrie and Luka. That's quite a combination between the two of them. Um, but their weakness is defense, right? And they knew that. And they honestly, they were like, fuck it. Let's just get better at offense. And I kind of respect that. And it's kind of worked to an extent, right? Because Kyrie, since joining them, 26 points per game on 51, 41, 100. He hasn't missed a free throw <laughs> as, a, as a Maverick yet. That's and unbelievable. Yeah, he's just insanely efficient, and he's a great offensive basketball player. So it was worth the trade just for, you know, making your championship odds greater than they were previously. Um, but this is a team I'm going to keep my eye on moving forward because the whole system has changed a little bit. The way I feel basically is you look at all these games, they're all close losses. Kyrie's playing amazing. Josh Green as a bench guy, as a role player, is playing amazing. You're seeing a lot of really good play. Um, I'm not worried. Not worried at all. I think it's we're close to figuring this all out. I don't understand the hatred that Jason Kidd has for Christian Wood. Um, I know his I, defense is bad, but yeah. I, you know, maybe he works off the bench now that they have Luca and Kyrie together. But Christian right. Wood is one of the most underrated players in basketball, I feel like, this season. I'm at, I'm not gonna fight you on that. I think offensively he's been incredible. Yeah. Um, I think somewhere for this team to really improve is just being healthy. Maxi Kleba coming back is super important for this team. This is a guy who's probably their best defender, uh, with Dorian Finney Smith gone, and he's a great three-point shooter as well. So if you have a power forward that can guard threes, fours, and fives and can shoot threes for you. That's going to be important to a team that's been struggling on that end of the ball. So getting him back will help. Obviously, pairing him with Doncic, Irving, Hardaway, guys like Josh Green. We're going to see some chemistry building here in the last stretch of the season. But as of right now, I think it's you know something to keep an eye on that they can't finish games. Definitely. Let's move on. Let's end this talking about the Lakers. They've won their last three games. They beat the piss out of the Pelicans. They had a really nice win against the Warriors. They won a game where LeBron put up 13 points and Anthony Davis had a bad game at the same time. They won that game convincingly. Jared Vanderbilt's amazing. Malik Beasley, I still think, has sucked so far. But, you know, so many bad things are happening and they won their last three games convincingly. Yeah, the thing, like, the most impressive win is the Mavericks win. We'll get to that. But the win over the Warriors was very telling for me as well, because you mentioned it. LeBron, 13 points on five of 20 Mm -hmm. shooting, which is horrible. Yeah. And then Anthony Davis plays 25 minutes that night, scores, puts up 12 and 12, which is great in that amount of time frame. But that's not what you're expecting from Anthony Davis. Malik Beasley comes off the bench and gives you seven threes. Jared Vanderbilt just doing what he does, just mucking shit up, making things hard for the other team. And then it's your bench who wins you the game with Austin Reeves, Hachimura, and Dennis Schroeder all contributing. And Mo Bamba has a double-double off the bench. This is why we gave so much praise to Rob Polinka at the trade deadline. Can this be, you know, the Lakers team in the bubble where it was LeBron and AD and just a bunch of role guys that performed their roles? Can that be that we're starting to see a level of consistency to these guys. Yes, it's been three games, but the way they're winning games is what's impressing me. Like I mentioned, they beat the Warriors with their backup guys. They beat the Pelicans by a million. It wasn't close the entire game. This Dallas win, though, that's the one that makes me happiest because Anthony Davis looked like the best player in the league. LeBron was great as usual, and they came back from 27 down against a team that had Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving. The real star here, Jared Vanderbilt. Guys, 
15 points, 17 rebounds. Eight offensive rebounds. And when he was Luca's primary defender, Luca went one for five from the floor. Yeah. So he's locking up the best player on the opposite team. He's dominating the glass from the power forward position in only 26 minutes. And he's giving you 15 points. That paired with Malik Beasley, D'Lo didn't even play in this game. Like they have legitimate talent now surrounding their two best players. Yeah. This is a team that if they make the play in, they're going to make the postseason. Yeah. Malik Beasley's so interesting because I've only watched his bad games. I went and looked at his box score. <laughs> oh of six. I'm just going to read out the three point percentages of the last five games. Oh of six the first game, six of 12, then two of seven, then seven of 11, then <laughs> two of 11. Right. He is hot or cold, and yeah. he is very hot or very cold. Um, Jared Vanderbilt's amazing. Jared Vanderbilt is the best thing they could have gotten for this team. I would have been happy if they had got just him. The fact that they got Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell, and it cost them one protected first round pick and a guy that didn't fit their team. Masterclass trade. Masterclass. Um, we said it when it happened, but now that we're seeing it, now that we're seeing it, it doesn't really matter if everybody together has a perfect game. There's just an overwhelming amount of talent that just came into this team. Yeah, and it's it's not top-end talent, right? They didn't make the big flashy trade. They no. didn't give up those two first-round picks unprotected for Kyrie. They opted for valuable role players, right? And I'm still kind of out on D'Lo, but he can fucking score. He can space the floor. And at the end of the day, that's what this team needs desperately. If yeah. you have Jared Vanderbilt and Anthony Davis trying on defense while they're on the floor, it's just going to be hard to score. It's yes. just going to be hard to score. And there are other guys that try on that end now. And then you have guys like Malik Beasley who can get hot and win you a game while LeBron's struggling or AD's struggling. Totally new team. Honestly, I'm wiping away the first 50 games of the season when it comes to this Lakers team. I'm not saying they have championship odds because the Nuggets are so strong and the Clippers have overwhelming talent and the Suns when KD comes back. The West is loaded, right? But this is a team that needs to be respected. Earlier in the year, you didn't have to respect this team. This was a laughable game on your schedule. The only thing you were scared of was an Anthony Anthony Davis like nuke or a LeBron just explosion game. That was it. Other than that, you knew you were going to win the game. Um, now you actually have to be concerned around about the players around those two guys. Yeah, this is an unbelievable stretch we're about to watch from from the Lakers. Um, I don't know if they're you know how high their playoff ceiling is. But I wouldn't be surprised if 12 games from now they go 10 and two and we're talking about like, what is, could they be, could they win at all? Um, there it's a perfect team. This is exactly how a LeBron James team is supposed to be set up. They've got excellent defense with Vanderbilt and AD. They've got excellent shooting with D'Lo and Malik Beasley. D'Lo, you know, you can be out on him and still admit that he can shoot threes off the break. He can shoot threes and transition. Um, he's a crafty ball handler. He does a lot of things well, despite having the problems that he has. And honestly, dude, Schroeder and Reeves have been yes. huge for this team as well at the guard spot. Like mm -hmm. Reeves is canning threes and trying on defense. And Schroeder, just with how quick he is and how good he is at dribbling, he's creating looks for others and for himself. Um, they have talent, man. It'll be interesting to see this stretch run. I know LeBron had like a little Nick injury in that Mavericks game walking out of the tunnel he was limping a little bit if they play like if they if they just stay healthy this is a team you have to be worried about night in and night out yes they have they're 29 and 32 right now the phoenix suns are 33 and 29 and right. they're the four seed
Right. So if we see a dominant week, week and a half from the Lakers, they're going to shoot their way up the standings like very quickly. And what's interesting, too, is I was on Tankathon earlier and I remembered how in the earlier like earlier in the season, we were all like, could the Pelicans legitimately draft Victor Wembenyama with the Lakers pick? Yeah. Now that's not even a question. They're probably not even going to use the swap because they'd be going backwards. I believe the Lakers finished with a better record than the Pelicans and in a higher standing. So we went from literally thinking that the Pelicans would be able to land Wembenyama with the Lakers pick from that not even being a possibility, and they're not even going to use the swap. That's a pretty good turnaround as far as I'm considering it. Yeah, I don't know if we ever thought the number one pick was going to go to the New Orleans, but like the fourth, the fifth? Like... They'd be they'd be like the fifth worst team, but then at that point, it's just a dice roll, right? right. Like they could land the number one overall pick. It's true. It so, is true, and Zion hasn't been healthy. Right, uh, Bi's been playing well, but they haven't been winning games behind him. The Pelicans probably get overtaken by the Lakers pretty soon. There's only a one win difference. Yeah, and and with the way the Pelicans have been playing over the last three months, it feels like like yeah. they're they're just they're done. They're cooked. But you know, for the Lakers, I'm proud of the Lakers for turning it around. I'm happy to see them compete. Me and you have talked about this on the podcast. Like it just felt morally wrong to watch a team with LeBron James on it be as bad as they were. Yes. Um, And it had nothing to do with him, but the fit with Westbrook and the lack of shooting around him, how do you win games? Now they actually have some competent role players around him. Now we can see if he can put this all together and try to make a little run here. Exactly. Um, And that's what we, that's all we wanted. We don't need LeBron to be winning championships. We just needed him to be relevant. And we're starting to feel like that's probably the case. Yes, I I mean, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. As a Celtics fan, as a Boston homer, I loved seeing the Lakers suck. But now that that's turned around and now that they're actually competing for something, I'm happy. Man. Yeah. I didn't want to see LeBron have this whole season wasted. Um, it's going to be fun. They're going to be in the playoffs. I don't know where they're going to be, but it's going to be fun to watch them. Yeah, and, you know, if you follow us on TikTok, uh, we do live. I do lives every other day. And we had a conversation in the live with some of our followers. Hey, do you think the Lakers could upset anyone in the postseason? And I had multiple people say they could beat the Nuggets. Like they would be comfortable betting money that the Lakers could beat the Nuggets. And even though I disagree, I understand the thinking, right? You have two top, you know, when LeBron and AD are right, it's it's hard to say they're not top five guys, both of them. Yeah. Against the Nuggets who only have Jokic, right? And then it's a lot of excellent role players around him. But you're you're gonna aim for top end talent over a bunch of role guys. Um, you know, would that be a dog fight in the first round? Maybe. It might be, man. It might be. I mean, I can't say enough about Nicole Jokic. Right. And so I won't. I mean, you know, the stats are ridiculous, they keep getting better, but the Lakers have two top five players when they're at their best, and they have a ridiculous lineup. Um, I think the Nuggets, by the numbers, have the best starting five. Them and the Warriors are the top two teams. But I don't want to go up against LeBron and AD. If I'm the one seed, if that's my, you know, right. that's the prize for being the one seed is you have to have the hardest first round. Right. No, thank you. Yeah, exactly. And there's no consolation for prize this year for being the one or two seed because of how deep the West is. Yeah. Like you're either facing healthy Steph Curry or you're facing LeBron and AD with a new revamped lineup. Like there's no weak spot in the Western Conference. And I think we're we're going to see an upset this year in the Western Conference, whether it's one and eight 
two and seven, three and six, there's going to be a lower seed who upsets the higher seed because of how deep the league is. And the only reason the Lakers are this low is because Westbrook was up. Like, imagine if they had this team from the start. Yeah. And what that record would look like, right? Or if the Warriors, right? If Curry just stays healthy, they're not the seventh seed. Right. They're not. Right. So there's some sleeping giants in the West. And, you know, I'm very excited to see how that shakes out in terms of the postseason. The only thing that ruins this for the Lakers is if Anthony Davis can't finish the season healthy. Exactly. Which is and probable. It's a possibility. It happens year to year. Um, so if they are healthy, this team's going to rise. If they're not, it's going to be so disappointing. I don't even want to spend time worrying about it. Just <laughs> yeah. like, let's just hope they're healthy. Yeah. And honestly, I think that might do it. Um, also, before we go, I might take the Lakers over Memphis in that in that series because i don't think that's crazy memphis has been dog shit since the shannon sharp thing yeah Yeah, it's just like they're really really bad and they're all blaming it on steven adams being hurt steven adams didn't play any minutes in the postseason last year because he shoots 40 percent from the free throw line and has no offensive skill whatsoever what makes you think they're going to be a postseason juggernaut if steven adams is who they're counting on to change the like tide of their franchise so um Lakers over Grizz if that ends up happening but I don't think that's crazy I think that'll do it though for the podcast thank you everybody for listening in we'll catch you later peace Peace.